0: Welcome to Plato's Cave. I'm Jordan Myers, and I'm a master's student in philosophy at the University of Houston. You're listening to a reading group episode of the show, which means that in this episode, I discuss political philosophy with two non-philosopher friends, Adam and Giffen, because philosophy shouldn't just be for philosophers. So with that introduction, please enjoy our discussion of political philosophy. All right, well, today we're doing a, uh, a paper that is an, a chapter of an edited volume. Uh, the edited volume is called Emotions, Imagination, and Moral Reasoning. And it came out in 2012, which is funny, because honestly, in my mind, like I, I pegged that as pretty recent, but that's actually a decade ago at this point, which is kind of crazy. It is crazy. Like 2012 registers to me as like, okay, this is like a pretty recent paper, but I'm like,
1: um, like kind
0: of. A few years back. I remember it fondly.
2: Yeah.
1: <laughs> I mean, I guess, I guess it just like depends like how you frame it, right? Like 10 years ago is not too long ago, I suppose. Mm. I mean, like it's Obama's presidency still. And yeah, um, still a decade. Yeah.
0: It, yeah. I guess if you're like, because we've been reading a lot of papers from the 70s and 80s and stuff. So in that context oh. it's recent, but you know, uh, oh, but the title of the paper is co-reactive attitudes and the making of moral community by victoria mcgear from princeton Uh, she's a philosopher at princeton university Uh, so yeah this is this is going to be kind of a continuation more of the first episode in the political philosophy series the one um by niels christie on uh property as or a conflict as property and restorative justice that was kind of the grounds for restorative justice and and that paper is from the 70s right if i remember correctly was like yeah i think i think you're right
1: yeah
0: it sounds right so okay uh what i'm gonna do i'll I'll just give kind of like a brief overview of the of the uh of the chapter because actually this is like this is a very hard text to acquire so i might post a copy somewhere uh online uh cuz I actually had to buy this I had to rent this ebook and then take Sick pdf screenshots it is disgusting but <laughs> um so okay so in this in this chapter McGear is kind of taking up uh PF strawson's mantle so this episode is going to going to hang a lot on the previous uh series that we've done on moral responsibility So McGeer kind of is is picking up P.F. Strawson's mantle and following it here to its interpersonal and political criminal justice conclusions. So she has a commitment, you know, she, she largely agrees, if not wholly agrees with his way of viewing kind of the moral responsibility debate and the role libertarianism plays in that debate and its implications for reactive attitudes. Now, Excuse me. Uh, the her her kind of buying of Strawson's commitments there, she argues implies a shift in our criminal justice practices away from two alternatives uh, that I'll detail in a second, and towards this concept of restorative justice that we talked about in greater detail in uh, I guess it would be two episodes ago. So she buys there are these kind of two two-pronged parts of Strawson's thesis that she buys and really motivates her theoretical reasoning. There's the metaphysical non-commitment thesis from Strawson, which is the view that uh, indeterminacy or determinism um, via libertarian free will is not actually what's at issue for reactive attitudes. It's much more pragmatic and interpersonal and non-theoretical in that way. And the second is the metaphysical corruption thesis, which is one that she elaborates a little bit more on from Strawson. And and that's the idea that if we focus both interpersonally and systematically on indeterminism, determinism, libertarian free will, that's actually going to corrupt our uh, practical interpersonal practices with needless and orthogonal metaphysical concerns and that's going to damage both interpersonal relationships but for the context of restorative justice uh legal practices so in accepting both of those prongs of strawson's argument she rejects green and cohen's enlightened consequentialism uh, which is it manifests itself in sort of a non-retributist very consequentialist form of punishment you know um punishing people for the, for the good or bad consequences it would produce. And she also rejects Goodnow's sort of noble lie, retributivism, you could say, because he believes that obviously libertarianism is false, but because it's true, it's sort of this noble fiction. Uh, and, and Goodnow's view of retributivism looks kind of, you know, a lot like our current system where um, people are praised or blamed or, or more specifically punished uh, in lieu of them deserving it or in light, sorry, if I'm deserving it. Uh, And both of those are based off of the folk intuitions of libertarianism, which she rejects. And she instead adopts and puts forth restorative justice because it naturally follows from Strawson's own views that she is drawn to, and it allows for the fruitful exchange of reactive attitudes. So that is the summary of the paper. Before we discuss it, what were you guys' thoughts, just kind of generally on it?
1: Uh, I I thought it was pretty good. Um, I think we hadn't actually read a paper that kind of linked restorative justice with P.F. Strawson's work. And it's what was interesting to me was they seemed to be so related. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like it, it was like the restorative justice emerging from P.F. Strawson's framework seems. It's actually, so
0: parsimonious.
1: Yeah. It, yeah. It just it, it fits well. So, um. And I also thought I kind of want to go back and look at uh, Goodenough's mm. um, kind of proposition, but I, but I definitely agreed that Green and Cohen totally missed the mark.
0: Yeah, I, there are a lot of really interesting things that I want to discuss with this paper. Um, Cause I, I, yeah, I really, really liked it. And also it's, it's a, it's like a very easy read. Like, it's just, it's like, a, you can just sit down and just kind of enjoy the read and make notes and everything it was good. Yeah. One thing, one thing that I'm also interested to hear about is um, is given, I think maybe more from Giffen than from you, but like given our previous conversations about the reactive attitudes, I'm almost curious Giffen um, what you think about like a lot of this too, because uh. I guess I'm interested to hear the squaring of, you know, you you, you were sympathetic to the Summers paper that we read, remember, um, uh, saying that you can get almost everything with the objective attitude as opposed to the reactive attitudes, but then we all, I think, to varying degrees, but we were all pretty sympathetic to the restorative justice idea, so as those topics come up, I'm kind of interested to hear your thoughts about that.
1: Yeah, for sure. And also, just kind of a, as an aside here, um, I think... McGear takes kind of a different line than Summers
0: mm.
1: in, in the sense that I don't think McGeer, I, I, I could have read this incorrectly, but I don't think McGeer concedes any ground on the idea that people could come to adopt the objective stance in all areas. I think McGeer says like that's practically impossible.
0: Yeah, um, yeah, I
1: kind of, I kind of. There were like, there were like a few different paragraphs we could go to, but I got the sense that McGear is like, okay. Regardless of what you think of the two attitudes, I like. There's, there's no practical um, adoption of the objective attitude in all areas. All the she, time,
0: she explicitly agrees with Strawson that it is psychologically impossible. Yeah, yeah. She quotes yes, from him there. Yes, yeah, yes. yeah, yeah,
1: yeah. So which Summers would say? Mm-hmm. perhaps not perhaps it yes. could be possible
0: and also magir is explicitly sort of leveraging what she takes to be benefits only wrought by the reactive attitudes that summer says no 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 you know you can get all of that with the objective attitude without the downsides of the reactive attitude so i think they would differ strongly there too
1: oh 100 yeah. percent. um she she definitely aligns with. Um, pf strawson in the sense that okay like you i, I think like even explicitly she states that mm. there are many emotions that are still retained under the objective attitude yes but but you know you know for example you could still have love in the objective attitude but not all aspects of love you know so so i there actually are, had a
0: quote because th- this was a really illuminating part of the paper for me, and it and it was it was one of those instances where I I got it before, but it didn't explicitly click for me. Um, on page three hundred, um, she has this really good quote. She says, "Reactive attitudes form an important subset of our moral emotions, but even given their rich variety, they do not encompass the entire range of our moral sentiments. For instance." We might feel compassion or pity for those we take to be appropriate targets of moral regard but the reactive emotions strawson mentions gratitude and resentment as exemplary instances are felt only towards those who we think meet more stringent conditions such individuals must be appropriate targets of moral regard to be sure but they also must be capable of showing moral regard in return and that is kind of the grounding of her her distinction of co-reactivity, which is really mm-hmm. like I love that distinction because it's e- I think it's easy to conflate reactive attitudes with any emotion, and that's not true. Yeah. So you could feel, um, you know, like one of those you know those kind of like aid commercials that come on, and there's like sad music playing, and they show like you know impoverished children, and you're like, oh, you're like it's like brutal to watch, you know what I mean? Because you're feeling like compassion and like, I guess, like a pity and like an empathy or whatever. Right. But none of those are necessarily reactive attitudes because you're not, you're not projecting anything with the Strawson calls this, I mean, this is almost like his basic demand with the idea or the, or the expectation that they're going to be reactive attitudes shown back to you.
1: Yeah, 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 I I, I enjoyed the quote unquote forward thinking approach that she utilizes mm. there, where mm. um, to find a uh, you know a subject fit for moral redress goes beyond just viewing them as a a moral agent, mm. but also with respect to, um, but also in your expectation that they respond with reactive attitudes appropriate to the reactive attitudes that you expressed. Mm-hmm. So,
0: yeah, you know, I, this is the, the, so the reason why I found this paper, this might get cut. I don't know. The the reason why I actually found this paper, because remember we were searching after the episode and I couldn't find it, couldn't find it. Well, the reason why I found it is uh, I, uh, quote this paper in the paper that I just submitted to that Jerusalem conference about talking about, um, Uh, um, uh, taking the objective attitude when sort of moral redress fails because like this paper is like infinitely quotable about that and she lays out she lays out like I'm basically just in my paper I was trying to talk about the interpersonal uh, I guess converse side of all of this but she lays out she has this one quote I have to quote this it's, it's so good she's talking about the expression of the reactive attitudes here on page 303 in the middle of it she says Uh, It, it being the expression of the reactive attitudes, says to the recipient of our reactive attitudes that we do not despair of them as moral agents, that we don't view them objectively, that is, as individuals to be managed or treated or somehow worked around. Indeed, that we hold them accountable to an ideal of moral agency because we think them capable of living up to that ideal. So reactive attitudes communicate a positive message even in their most negative guise, even in the guise of anger, resentment, or indignation. The fact that we express them says to their recipients that we see them as individuals who are capable of understanding and living up to the norms that make for moral community. I I love that quote because it's actually true. Like when, when we take the objective attitude, at least when it's when I have argued it's permissible is when that, that redress falls flat due to, due to an error or a, or a, Inability on the recipient side, you know.
1: Yeah, and and I like um, the figure that she shows, where it's like <laughs> a correct co-reactivity sort of trajectory.
0: Yeah, that, the or, f- you know, faces. Of,
1: yeah, I mean, it was a bit memeable. Um, <laughs> yeah, yeah, I mean, but but at the same time, like, I I got the idea from the for the picture mm-hmm. where it's like the idea that, um, you know, the reactive attitudes are more of an exchange back and forth, mm. you know, and we'll eventually arrive at something um, in this case, forgiveness. Mm. And it's, there's an interplay on both sides of what it kind of a, um, an appropriate reactive response would be. Um, so if, you know, if you express anger at someone and, they just respond with like pure, like fury. You know, it's like, they're not really engaging in that kind of reactive dance at that point where it's like, you know, you express anger, like you, Hey, you said you were going to pick me up at the airport, but you never came. And they're just like, they just respond with just like immense fury. <laughs> and it, it, it's just like, like, okay. Uh, you know, yeah. I, I expected, you know, perhaps like a little defensiveness or, you know, just, but, but, you know fury or you know what if, yeah. it would have, what if it was just like jealousy was like the response yeah it would make no sense so you there's like um it's it, it's forward thinking in the sense that it's like an expectation for you know appropriate reactive attitude responses so i don't know it,
0: yeah And when that fails is when Strawson talks about taking the objective attitude as a, as a place of personal refuge, you know, it's sort of like a sanctuary from, from the strife of that interpersonal exchange. Um, And yeah, I, yeah, I have questions about how that I, she, so she doesn't um, she doesn't necessarily address this, but I actually wonder if because she's viewing it in that way that we just discussed, which I actually agree with Um, I kind of think that that implicitly commits her to this like additional project, or I guess maybe not additional project, but it's a more specific project of the expression of reactive attitudes interpersonally and then restorative justice on a legal level, only functioning when people do cohabitate the same moral communities to a significant degree. And I guess that degree can kind of vary, right? But there's gotta be like some degree of overlap between people. If these reactive exchanges are going to get off the ground, right? Like I, I, like, this is what, yeah, that's that's
1: why there were like certain points that she said like for uh, there were criterion for criteria that need yeah. to be like, maybe like met in that one uh, rise project in Canberra, Australia. Mm-hmm. And we we can go through some of those too, but I don't think those directly address what you just said. But I think there's some aspects there that that kind of address that because like mm-hmm. um, like offenders admit guilt before mm-hmm. agreeing to take part. They are then invited to participate in a conference to determine how their admitted offense should be rectified. So that right there doesn't address exactly what you were saying, but if they're willing to participate in the event, you think that at that point they're they're willing to at least hear someone or hear out the victim um, and allow the victim to describe, you know, the ways in which they've been wronged. By the the perpetrator, so I I would think at that point that I don't know. I don't think you'd show up to that sort of thing if you're not in the same moral community.
0: Mm. You know, I I, I could be wrong,
1: but I don't know.
0: No, no, what you said just made me think admitting guilt is almost kind of you're like enrolling in the moral community there by admitting guilt. It's like okay, we're signing up to at least agreeing that we value, we agree that like something was a wrong.
1: Yeah, yeah, in that sense. Yeah. So I, I, exactly. So I think that it's done exactly what you said, but it seems like implicitly they're part of the moral community. If they make that concession.
0: You know, what's interesting then we, we talked about, I, in the, in the previous episode on this, <clears throat> I think it was in one of the videos, not from the text, obviously, because that was more the theoretical, but in the videos, I thought these, there was, there was the implication. I don't know if they said this explicitly, but I thought that they said, because all of this is happening in the sentencing that people who were found guilty could participate in this, but that they had to sort of opt into doing it. And I wonder if that's like a better, I wonder if that's a better thing to do than, than admitting guilt because admitting guilt, I mean, I don't know, maybe this like, do, do you, I feel like the minority of people admit guilt in a lot of cases, but I don't know that's just an intuition.
1: Yeah, but I think this is, like, an entirely different system because, True. you know, perhaps if, like, your sentence were to be reduced in this context where you could participate in this mm-hmm. um, restorative justice, then maybe more people would, in fact, admit guilt. Because yeah. now, I mean, now there's, like, there's no real benefit to admitting guilt um, in our current system.
0: <laughs> no, there's none.
1: No. I mean, I guess there are because you can take yeah. a plea deal. To be fair, you okay. can admit guilt to. I mean, there is a plea deal, so okay. I, I, okay. I should I should retract that actually. Right.
0: But I but I guess what I was saying is like I don't I I don't know that it makes sense to sort of, sort of eschew it entirely because you could imagine that like you're found guilty, like you know you commit a crime you're trying to get away with it, but your defense fails and you're found guilty. I don't know that that's sort of like taking the benefits of restorative justice off the table inherently, if you still want to opt into restorative justice practices, right? Like it makes it harder.
1: I I wonder if it's like a semantic game though, because the thing is um, admitting guilt, I feel like... Mm. It's almost come a, after
0: the trial. Yeah,
1: exactly. So like you could, you could plead not guilty, be found guilty. And then by agreeing to participate in this, you're kind of admitting guilt anyway. Right. Cause like, like, <laughs> I, cause, sure. if, cause if you really think you didn't do it, mm. I I'm not sure I'd want to meet with someone who's accusing me of something that I didn't do. And uh, I mean, like, like what productivity can come out of that? Like you sit down with the person after the trial is over mm and you just that say was, i did i didn't do it and it's like then the whole thing kind of you're not just in like, the
0: moral community at that point like the same yeah, moral community yeah
1: so i think it's really important that there is some admission of guilt um so you're hmm. both on the same page before you even meet. yeah uh, on, at least yeah. on that front so
0: you know go uh, on on the um Okay, the, okay, going back to the kind of theoretical side of it for a second because because you, you said like you know that there are preconditions that need to be met for this. This was one of the questions that I had. Um, on page 303 in the middle of the bottom paragraph, uh, she, she, ha- she says, what is more essential is that the recipients of such attitudes understand, or can be brought to understand, that their behavior has been subjected to normative review, a review that now calls on them to make a normatively fitting response. Right. So there, she's kind of talking about the co-reactivity. Excuse me. She's she's sort of talking about the co-reactivity there, right? But this is okay. So this is. Um, where I had a question that is a bit more germane to the previous miniseries, but it's important here. I think she, so, okay. That, that sentence seems to imply kind of two preconditions and she talks about the second one more. She kind of, she tables the first one in, in a lot of ways, I think. So it's that, that seems to imply one, that the person possess the right mental capacities and two, they cohabitate the same moral community. That does that seem, because if you, I feel like if you don't have both of those, um, these reactive exchanges don't get off the ground, right? Like, you know, if you're kind of dealing with someone who agrees with you on what counts as a right or a wrong, but they're unable to really, for just any variety of reasons, right? Like make it a really clear cut case. Like they're in a coma. Okay. Obviously they can't exchange and reactivate engage exchanges with you. Right. Or, or they could just be like, you know, concussed in sort of, you know, temporarily, or, or they could have, you know, schizophrenia or something. Right. And just be unable to access that side of them. Right. Okay. That makes me think that actually the, This is interesting. I wonder if the metaphysical non-commitment thesis I kind of disagree with, but largely agree with the metaphysical corruption thesis. So here's what I, okay. So here's, let me just figure out what I think for a second. Okay, so the metaphysical non-commitment thesis, remember she's pulling this from Strassen, is that determinism and libertarian free will don't have it, they're they're orthogonal, they're unrelated to practices of reactive and objective attitudes, right? Now here's, I think there's a little bit of a lack of specificity here, because if the metaphysical non-commitment thesis states that the general thesis of determinism being true, so we just grant, let's just say, determinism is true. Does that have any bearing on our reactive practices? Absolutely not it shouldn't. Right. Because we talked about this before, but I I think that indeterminacy would kind of vitiate like the sense of agency paradoxically, because it would just, yeah, you would have no character coherence, like Wolf pointed out, or you would be like a wanton. Right. So libertarian free will doesn't actually get you what you're after. It's incoherent. Sure. However, it, I think that if you're gonna if you're gonna endorse the metaphysical non-commitment thesis, you need to be clear that it's either just saying that first thing. I, I just okay. You could summarize the metaphysical um, non-commitment thesis as saying determinism is not relevant to the reactive attitudes. That I disagree with.
1: I I just I don't I don't know about that because I, I kind of get from this paper that she's saying that through the principle of co-reactivity, mm-hmm. it's, it's not something you, it, whether someone is fit or moral address to an extent is dependent on their ability to enter into the co-reactivity. Mm-hmm. So, so it's not important, you know, to take in like, you know, to take into consideration, like deterministic frameworks, like for example, if you encounter someone that is able to, you know, co-reactively respond mm-hmm. in a meaningful way that you think is, you know, productive for, you know, this um, kind of reactive trajectory that she, like, that she describes that ends in something meaningful to both parties, mm-hmm. then they're fit for moral redress, right? Yeah. But But if they don't, then it doesn't, you don't have to take into considerations of determinism. They don't meet that requirement. Like they, 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 they can't. um, They're not fit for moral redress if they can't engage in that co-reactivity.
0: So I don't disagree with any of that. What I was thinking about was, I guess this kind of came up in the Fisher twenty twelve paper we did, um, semi compatibilism and its rivals. So if um, so, so like Strawson. Strawson gives like a lot of examples of when we tend to suspend reactivity. But he doesn't necessarily say that those are, are, he doesn't prescribe them as instances in which we should. He just says that that's when we tend to, right?
1: Sure, the excusing and exempting cases. Yeah, and and he
0: says that those aren't because of determinism. But I think I disagree with that in the sense that so, like, if you, if you think about, okay, you know, so I think basically what I'm trying to say is a lot of this gets cashed out in compatibilist distinctions, right? Reasons, responsiveness, mechanism, ownership, character coherence, second-order desires, right? All of those things. Th- those things, I think, are going to be really important for determining both interpersonally and legally if these reactive exchanges can get off the ground. And when they can't, I think that those... The, the reasons why they can't are always going to show up as instances of being determined in the wrong way. This is the, like the Wolf asymmetrical freedom point, right? So like, if you think about, um, if you think about, we've talked about this case before, but do you remember like the Charles Whitman case? Or, or no, let's go, let's go to the Robert Harris case, right? Um, he's someone who's not going to be fit for reactive exchanges because he's just so fucked up. Right. Like he's just beyond the, the pale. He's like outside the moral community. Your address can't reach him. Well, if you're saying like no considerations of determinism can factor into this, I'm not I'm not necess- necessarily saying that you have to be like talking about it in terms of determinism. But if you're going to be theoretical and talk about the metaphysical non-commitment thesis, I think you should be clear that it's just about the general thesis of determinism. Because the reason why Robert Harris isn't fit for moral exchange is because of deterministic facts about his past.
1: Well, it could be because of deterministic facts, but I think like, um, you know, the kind of first level of looking at it is that he just can't engage in co-reactivity.
0: Mm-hmm. But, but then like, right? you know what I mean? The, the follow-up question is like, okay, why in, in this case, like you might want to provide, you know, like the court might want to provide like a reason why right and those are going to be spelled out in in um deterministic pieces of information right i mean he had you know it, it, you can grant that in theory he might have a genetic predisposition for something right we may be we may be able to look at his brain and see that you know certain parts are malformed or something or don't fire in the right ways that it would be indicative of of a moral agent or something right or, or just talk about his upbringing, right? I mean, that's determinism. It's not, he didn't choose to be born into that family or whatever and have those formative experiences.
1: So I-, I I'm yeah. going to be, I, I don't know. I'm just a bit lost at this point. Like, I, I just feel like a few things have been conflated. Like, I, I just don't get what the courts, because we're talking about a very specific instance of justice, right? Where, yeah. Yeah, I mean, these are specifically people that, that opt in- Well, I was saying,
0: so let's say the victim opts in, right? Okay. But it wouldn't really make any sense for someone like Robert Harris. Let's say Robert Harris kind of wanted to opt in. Okay. There's a sense in which he almost, it might, you know, either the court might want to not allow him to, or at least provide like a dissuasive, you know, kind of um, like notice to the victim and their families or something. Right. Okay. Like we don't think this person is going to be, Uh, fit for productive, restorative justice practices because of X, Y, and Z. And all I'm saying is X, Y, and Z are instances of determinism. So just, I'm just saying like, if you're going to, if you're going to say the metaphysical commitment, non-commitment thesis is relevant, you have to specify that it's just about determinism, the thesis generally, like you don't want to say no deterministic information is relevant to this practice.
1: I don't know about that. I, I I do have a response to that, but okay. but Giffen, you you were gonna say something there?
2: Um, well, I I might just be misunderstanding part of our previous conversation. Um, with restorative justice, I mean, but I I think in that case, like I don't think there's a situation in the uh, restorative justice that's been implemented where a you know found guilty party can request restorative justice where the um like victim you know, wouldn't want it.
0: It was the reverse. It it was the reverse for me. I was saying the victim is signed up for restorative justice, but, but there's like, but I think that there's kind of a strong pull to like, if we know certain details about the criminals, the offenders, it it might be kind of worth saying like, okay, well, we, we dissuade you from doing this, or we don't think this is going to be productive or something. Right.
2: That is interesting. But I mean, so in this case, well this is you know back to nils Christie, um Mm -hmm. but i think those actions um that you're describing from the court i mean they make complete sense right like if you're Mm -hmm. in fear of like you know some manipulation in some way Mm -hmm. especially if this is like some sort of you know deeply troubled person who like you know you can tell that they wouldn't be Mm -hmm. caring about the other person like they you know who knows for what reason they wanted to be in this situation? You know, it's, it's troubling. But yeah, like they
0: could be sadistically going into oh, it too. Yeah, to yeah. like, no, like, yeah. If met,
2: like, I will be put away for a long time. I'm going to get enjoyment out of the confrontation. You can imagine all yeah. those things. But I don't know what if Nils Christie cares about that. I'm just kind of tying it back there because that would still be, you know, in this case, the court doing that would be the state, right? Yeah, um, but so I, this I'm would be kind sure. of like pulling, like the you know, the property towards the state. I
1: just I just wonder also, like, don't you think I mean, I'm just kind of throwing out this idea. I don't know how I feel about it right now, but I'm just wondering, like, would there be some peace found by the victim if they begin to engage in a discussion with someone that's clearly has like sadistic motives? And then they realize, wait a second, this person isn't even in the same moral community as me. Like they (laughs) they like they open up saying things like, okay you know, when you attacked my husband and killed him, like, this is what you did to my family, this is what they did to the- And the- then
0: they're just cackling during that or something. Yeah then, yeah, then at
1: that point, I feel like now that you've been, like, face-to-face mm-hmm. with someone like that, they're, they're like, they just this almost, like, I guess nebulous concept of evil that they embody just becomes a lot more real in the sense that it's like, okay, this person actually just is like an animal. Yeah. You know what I mean? It's not, this wasn't someone with um, like truly, this wasn't someone that's capable of, you know, you know, goodness mm-hmm. and also evil that just almost seemed to just lapse into their worst um, types of behavior. Now, this is someone that is just incapable of empathy, incapable yeah. of understanding, you know, it. it I don't know. It, it's almost like
0: well, all I'm saying, because I agree with all of that, and I actually think it's congruent with what I'm saying. And you kind of almost started to lapse into it a little bit there. But but I think the only difference is there is like the, the people in this, you know, the best case scenario of that exchange are going to realize that certain deterministic facts about that person are true. Like they obviously, like the lay person is not going to frame it like that, right? But they're going to be like, oh, he actually was corrupted by this like, insane upbringing and they so if you don't know anything about the person's past you might not know why but if you do you know you know information comes to light about robert harris's past in the trial or in the sentencing or whatever or from you know like my proposed judges like notice or whatever like hey before you go into this exchange like you should know this about him right it's all i'm saying is it i mean like admittedly it is like a small point but all i'm saying is i don't think because I think if you if you say determinism is not relevant to the reactive attitudes or to their interpersonal functioning or to their legal functioning, I think you're going to commit yourself to disavowing information that is clearly relevant.
1: I, I, I just still don't know with that one, because it's like, I almost feel like you're still kind of taking like the philosophical approach where, like you know, you kind of sit back and you know, consider the the, like deterministic effects behind someone's behavior and their lack of, you know, or their inability to respond appropriately with like reactive attitudes. But in the moment, like I'm still thinking about, like if I encountered somebody like that, it's, I know personally for me, even after going through all these conversations, I don't think determinism would come to my mind. I think I would just realize that they're not someone who's, Mm-hmm. reacting in a way that is consistent with co-reactivity uh, or co-reactive trajectories that are appropriate i just I, I it would just be a recognition of that fact mm-hmm. rather than saying oh because of determinism this person is incapable of responding appropriately it would be mm-hmm. the fact would just but, be this person is incapable of responding appropriately
0: all all i was saying is that okay if you guys were both the victims of a crime right say you know your father. Like I think this is like the example you used. Giffin, your father was murdered, or maybe it was Adam. Um, wouldn't you guys feel differently? So you're in the restorative justice practice. You know you're you're airing your grievances. This is after guilt or whatever, right? Yeah.
1: Would you? Wouldn't you feel
0: differently? All I'm saying is I would feel totally differently if the victim had a normal upbringing. They were a college graduate, right? And they like committed this crime. For no obvious sort of background reason. Like they didn't have a brain tumor, they weren't schizophrenic, right? And then you know, the judge like slides a, a like a note over to me and it's some piece of information, right? Like this person has a brain tumor in the right area that would have caused it, the Charles Whitman or like the Robert Harris, they had like a fucked up background. I would feel differently about that. But if the judge slid a piece of paper across the test and it says Scientists have just determined that determinism is true it's like okay i i don't you know like obviously i don't care about that. all i'm asking is like don't it doesn't that isn't that congruent with both of your guys' psychology as well
2: I'm not sure. are we assuming that in both these cases it's this like the person is the same, it's just the background that's different they're acting right?
0: the same, yeah,
2: yeah, so you you engage with them in this restorative practice in the exact same way they respond the same way um, you Well, I'm asking
0: if you would, if you would interact a bit differently, like, you know, you're like. So like, would the knowledge that they graduated college and there was no like obvious, like, you know,
2: child abuse or anything like that inform like my view. It's, it's an interesting question. I'm not sure. Um, The reality is, I
0: don't know. All I'm, all I'm saying is that like, I don't know. I, 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 I honestly, I thought this was like a smaller point, but all I'm saying is that you don't, all I'm saying is you want to be clear about what you're saying with the metaphysical non-commitment thesis, right? Like imagine if, imagine, like, I, I just think that, okay, you know, we're thinking about the theoretical underpinnings of restorative justice, right? Someone says determinism is not relevant at all. Do not bring up determinism. Do not bring up deterministic facts about this. I think that that just impoverishes the view a little bit because it doesn't, there's relevant information, right? That either like the victim should have or the judge should have, or, you know, whoever's overseeing it in the example she gave it was a police officer, not a judge, whatever. So what is the role of that information? Is this in
2: like the um, finding of guilt and the sentencing or just in the conversation, you know? Like strictly in the conversation
0: well let's not you. talk about the guilt because all of this is supposed to happen afterwards right because right. I, I don't want to get caught up in like oh yeah no you know, I, I, just wanted,
2: I thought you would say that i just wanted you know to clarify yeah yeah no
0: it's good um so
1: i just like wonder about like the reverse of that too like 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 for example like say say you were encountering someone like that and in fact they were very capable of engaging in co-reactivity well mm-hmm. right But then the judge slides across the table, a piece of paper saying that they've got a tumor that is actually Mm -hmm. playing a role in their higher levels of empathy at this point. Pushing all their amygdala or whatever. Then I would be like, like,
0: what's this real person's self like almost, you know, like there's a God holding up.
1: (laughs) But that's how they're behaving right now though. Like it's clear, Mm -hmm. like they, they have, they feel a great empathy. They feel like they've, you know, wronged you and they recognize that, I mean, like, I, I think I'd be- I would be. I would
0: just want to have the reactive exchange then after they got the brain tumor removed or something like I, it's almost like, I, I want to know in that scenario, like, oh my God, like, was this, was this like, okay. Imagine, you know, imagine the guy gets the brain tumor removed and he is weeping. He's so remorseful. He can't believe what he's done. He doesn't know what came over him. Yeah. Wouldn't your reactivity change there?
1: Well yeah, because because the thing well, is like he's he's capable of engaging in the co-reactive attitudes. Like but he was before
0: conf- too. On on your example. Okay, so it was you're just saying, they were just different attitudes.
1: Okay, same example. I mean, like I but my reactive responses to him I don't think would be any different in either scenario. Like even like with the tumor, like I, I would I would say like this is who I'm speaking to right now. Like this person with the tumor, and they <laughs> clearly have um they feel horrible about what they did and they recognize it completely guys are we then...
0: No 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 I was oh. saying they didn't like um I was sa- like you know there's some like shame right like it... okay imagine this person is acting like you or I well that's a bad example um I- I'm saying like okay you know this person has wronged has has committed a crime against you and they're like you know mildly remorseful or whatever and, and you're like you're you would I, I'm I'm assuming you would be like very angry and and resentful like very reactive in a negative way against them, right? Sure. And then you know the judge slides the piece of paper over. He's got a brain tumor. You you your your actions might change there. It might not. Let's say you know two weeks later, uh, this is all still in the restorative justice context. He gets the brain tumor removed, and he's like he, I mean, you know, you're brought back to like the the courtroom or whatever. He's weeping in front of you and saying like, I I can't explain how, why I did that. I would never do that now. Like, I don't know what came over me. You know, I want to do everything I can to make it up to you, but please understand that like, that's not, that's not me. All I'm asking is like, wouldn't your reactive attitudes change a little bit? I'm not saying you would take the objective attitude even. I'm just saying-
1: Wait, honestly, we have like so many different variables at one time here. I mean, like, yeah, it was, wait, you're saying he did he have the tumor whenever he committed the crime? Yeah. Okay, so he had the tumor in this case. And, um, but you're saying even with the tumor, he was capable of expressing, you know, he, yeah, appropriate reactive He would say something reactivity. like this. He
0: would say something like this Yeah, I, you know, he's like, I, I understand that I murdered your father for his wallet and it was wrong of me to do so. But all things being equal, like I, I had to do it. Like I, I, you know, I needed to I needed the money for X or whatever. Uh, and he's like it was yes, it was wrong and like I don't expect for your forgiveness or whatever. Right. He's saying all that. Then the brain tumor gets removed and he he's like I, I can't even relate to that previous person. Like I I'm so ashamed of, of like what I did. But it you know I, I don't relate to him now. Like I can't imagine doing that at this point like you know i, I, I like well, i think know, that
2: that kind of perspective holds even if there is no tumor just by personal growth every
0: time well i'm not sure yeah that but was. that but that's just that well, i mean i guess all, all i'm, I'm saying, saying is determinism is... isn't even relevant like in the microcosm there
2: uh, uh. i don't all, know i i don't
1: i know I, I honestly I, I i don't i'm not even trying to be just like um just like I guess stubborn on this point like I just don't think your concept is very coherent right now because like I really like it just comes down to like I would in that moment recognize him as like a more appropriate agent for moral redress like
0: you know Mm -hmm. it's like I'm not denying that though I'm saying that the underpinnings of that are going to be cashed out in in like instances of being determined rightly or wrongly
1: but we, but I think you and I are on the same page there. I, I just okay. think like when it comes to reactive attitudes, the relevant of the like the relevance of determinism in the moment is, yeah, is, I, is, is it actually that important? Like, it's just, it, it's the agent that I'm interacting with at that moment. So, <sighs>
0: okay. I've got like a, I've got a different way to phrase it. Maybe. Well, what was your question? Giffen?
2: Well, I was just wondering if what we were experiencing right now was that like the metaphysical corruption thesis, like it seemed like Jordan, in the examples that we were kind of probing mm-hmm. for like within this the system, um, the fact that there was a bearing of meta like you know, the the knowledge the determinants of knowledge had a role for you versus like Adam, where he seemed that it didn't have a role yeah um, might be you know you know a moral community splitting phenomenon
0: i don't think it I'm is i'm wondering if
2: it was uh, an example of
0: that i don't think it is cuz remember like i wouldn't phrase it as saying determinism is relevant it's like specific instances of being determined rightly or wrongly might be relevant so all i'm okay here's here's all i'm saying
1: cuz you're describing excusing cases right now
0: right i thought i was ex- describing exempting cases
1: no excusing cases would be would be like circumstances in which um, you weren't fit for, um, you know, kind of reactivity or reactive attitudes because like being of, a
0: regular citizen in nineteen thirties Germany or something,
1: or or like because like the exempting cases is that someone's like you know severely malformed, you know, and I mean like they're just yeah. like, they're they're schizophrenic from, or something, yeah, yeah, but like but you're almost describing something like an extreme an extreme version of okay. Honestly, I had like three hours of sleep last night mm-hmm. and I, um, you know, didn't mean to say what I said. Yeah. So that that would be an excusing case, right? Yeah, yeah, cause yeah. like, so cause it's ordinarily you're, yeah, yeah, yeah. It's a more extreme case of that where it's mm-hmm. like, frankly, I had the tumor, uh, <laughs> the tumor made me do what I did and. Here, uh,
0: okay. I just have a question. It, we should, we should probably move on at this point. All I'm asking is like, okay, um. You're setting up a restorative justice program. If the sentencing commission, the governing body of the sentencing uncovers facts about the case and about the person uh, such as their upbringing their their medical condition information about their brain etc that is that that we have good reason to believe is related to their actions do you want the victim to to have that information or not they can do with it what they want Mm -hmm. it's the robert harris case Right. You discover uh, that about his background. Do you just provide that information to the victim or do you not? I think that's obvious a case where, yeah, just that that's information relevant to the crime and the, and the, the person offended. You should obviously provide that information to them.
2: I actually am not sure about
1: that. Yeah, I'm, I'm not actually sure. It, it seems like you're hmm. almost actually providing fodder for taking the objective attitude someone you're kind of priming them to it's like okay it it, this this whole exercise is too but only
0: but but i'm not saying it i'm only thinking of like the relevant cases right so like if you commit a crime today right and you don't have a bad upbringing you don't have a brain tumor you don't have schizophrenia what all of these things there's not going to be that piece of information right there's not going to well, be that. Well,
1: I, I guess, I guess to be fair though, to be fair mm-hmm. in, in your previous thing, you, you threw in information about the brain as well. So it's if like, it's,
0: if it's okay, I should have clarified. So, if so like, the, so that kind
1: of, yeah. Cause, okay. Okay. Cause or or that, if it's not functioning like, properly. Like yes. we've, we've, we've seen that there's like a, you know, an array of neurons that fired in this and, way. And that, that really, is obviously not responsible. Not, it's like, yeah, okay, well, is, you're priming no, no, no. them to view the person objectively and And, and, and I
0: agree that just the information that the brain did it is not relevant. Okay. It's not relevant at all. So I, that was I a, a mispeak.
2: This is a really good uh instance because I I'm leaning towards like no, only because I think in the system that is like what the role of the system is is for like the you know victim and the persecutor to discuss you know include things including like whether but pers- they
0: were, but you might not know that that's the whole point who's is you, like
2: the victim the, the the offender like if Adam commits oh I mean if the court like so you're saying like these are facts that the court would know, but the perpetrator would not. Well, you might not. I mean, people don't know when they have a brain tumor sometimes. I, well, you, I would assume if it came up as relevant and they would be but, informed. Well, like, that's how, what, actual... But that's
0: what I'm asking. though. Oh, I
2: actually, is that actually what you're asking? If there is exclusively, if there is information that the perpetrator has not.
0: Well, I mean, has not is like a little bit begging the question. Like they could be aware of it. They could not be. I'm saying like, they might not, it, what if they were aware of it, but didn't think to in, like divulge it? All, all I'm saying is that like, if there's, if there's reason to believe that there was some m- malfunctioning that went on, all I'm saying is that that information should be given to the person because like Adam goes out and, and commits a crime today, we're going to be like, what the fuck, dude? We're going to be like, extremely reactive, especially if it was committed against us. Uh, I expected it all along. Well, <laughs> <A> dying breath.
1: <laughs> but if, I, I guess, I guess, though, kind of like going off your example, though, like if it was me, right? Mm-hmm. So I go out and commit something, some sort of heinous crime against you guys. Sure. Do you want to sit down and just talk with me about it, mm-hmm. or yeah? Would you rather the court provide information about, you know, sort it's not of, an or. It,
0: I don't think it's an or thing though.
1: Well, well no, I think it is an or because it, it's the, you guys just sit down and talk with me or you guys sit down and talk with me with, with information. information. Yeah, 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 You know, that, that sort of explains, you know, behavior. Here's,
0: here's the thing. I want the information because in two weeks when they remove the brain tumor, I want to talk to you again. But if they don't tell me that, I might not know, right? So like if you, if you wrong me, uh, if, you, if you commit a crime against me and Giffen, I want to talk to you before and after the surgery. I want to understand if your motives changed, if you if you feel differently afterwards. Like I want to know all these things no, because it could sense. be valenced either way. And all I'm saying, all I'm saying, you don't have to like slide me a piece of paper, pretend I don't know anything about all this like debate. You don't have to slide me a piece of paper explaining what determinism is and all of these things, right? Yeah. All I'm saying is like, oh, you, you might want to know that we found, you know, we were doing, giving him a medical exam. We found a brain tumor in this area of his brain pressing on a these areas or these, you know, individual subsections of the brain. And it's highly probable that this could affect his emotional reasoning or his uh, ability to have impulse control or something, right? I would be like, oh, jeez, like I would still talk to him immediately afterwards, and I would want to talk to him again after the surgery. And I think that you're robbing the victim if you don't tell them of that potential second conversation. It could totally change everything, or it could change nothing.
1: Well, I sort of, I, I, oh, go, go ahead.
2: Yeah, here's what I'll say. I think I got a couple statements to make then. So I think first, first um, you're wrong. <laughs> first, I am, I am betrayed. <laughs> no um first i think nils christie would actually disagree with you i do not think he would say it's the state's role to engage with that even if it's mine well, okay
0: I, I don't really i'm well, well, sorry i didn't mean to interrupt, I, yeah, just, no, yeah, no. but what do you like because i'm not sure i necessarily care what christie thinks like in practice you know what i mean
2: right no so that was just the first thing um just because you know that was the first conversation we had
0: i also um, don't think i don't know if i would agree with that or not
2: okay that'll be I, interesting but yeah i'll move on to the second it, point um
0: Wait, wait, real quickly just uh, just for my own edification don't, yeah. don't you think he could actually say like no because then you're leaving it up to the state to like withhold information wouldn't I, I think that he might say like no all of the relevant information it's not up to the state to determine like what the victim knows and what they don't right because like presumably if the investigating parties found information about the crime like i don't know you know he wrote some like there's like diary entries about it or whatever. And those are relevant. Like it's not the state's it's not the state's position to say like, well, you know, we determined you don't need to know about the diary entries or whatever.
2: That is interesting.
0: Um, I think you would be in the I guess opposite. on your
2: under- Cause this is like the sec. This does um, pertain to the second point is this is the situation we're talking about is only one about like asymmetric information right? Whether it's between like the state and like, you know, either of the parties. Mm-hmm. Um, so in, in the situation where like both parties at least could have access to the information, whether or not they grasp it as another thing. Mm-hmm. Um, I think then like, it's not the state's role to like say, Hey, um, by the way, even though you already, you know, possibly privy to this information specifically, this may change your perspective, right? Like here's information that may or, you know, Wink should change your perspective. Well, no, that's that's
0: it. putting a little top spin on it.
2: It is no, I, no, I, I get it. <laughs> but but like I think I again, mean, I'm I actually am still following Mills a little bit in that mm-hmm. I think he would say that like that state Rome, like this that role that the state would play in there would you know in some small way be a little bit of a nod toward you know
0: I think that that's I think that that's spinning it in sort of the opposite direction in the sense that like okay. It seems. It seems kind of. It seems like Christy would agree, at least prima facie, that the state shouldn't. And this is, I would agree with him on this. Like, in determining the the guilt or something, the state it's not the state's uh, place to re- rena- redact or or provide information about. It's like, oh, we found him as guilty because of X, Y, and Z. Like, the victim should know that, right? Yeah. Well then. I don't wonder what's the sharp distinction between like all of that information and also, you know, okay, we're in a restorative justice concept. Here's all of the information about the details of the crime. And here's, you know, what we think is relevant information about his upbringing or something. Right. And it like, because again, we have to remember that for the majority of people, it's not going to be relevant. Right, like they didn't have a brain tumor, they didn't have, you know, a really fucked up upbringing or something. But it's like, oh, in these cases, it is, and and that might change your reactive attitudes from like, I could, I could, I mean, I'm just, I'm thinking myself here, like, I actually would want to talk to the person, like, about their upbringing in that case, and be like, right, yeah, no, I
2: understand I, that. I, like, I, the question is more about, like, I'm having a hard time imagining a situation. I guess specifically where like the perpetrator was not aware of a thing. The state was, and a, the victim also isn't whenever the sentencing has already occurred
0: a brain tumor.
2: But like, how would the perpetrator not be made aware of that in the you know fact finding or the,
0: well, it wouldn't necessarily determine um, it. It wouldn't be relevant to the level of guilt. Right. right so whether or not
2: they
1: perpetrated.
0: So, the it, you know, <laughs>
1: I, well, I just, I just, I think so like when, into- when would the
2: state learn this? That's what I'm like kind to say. Like if, if the perpetrator doesn't know and it's not relevant to the fact finding or the guilting, like,
0: okay, well, that's a different, that's, that's, that's a different, all I'm saying is that like, that information should be made. It, 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 that should be open access information. Then. That's all I'm saying. And all I'm honestly, this is like a smaller point than it. All I'm saying is that if you say I support the metaphysical, excuse me, non-commitment thesis. Sure. And by the metaphysical non-commitment thesis, I mean to say that no deterministic information can be relevant to the proceedings. Then I think that you're you're theoretically entailing an exclusion of information that is relevant. That's all I'm saying. It was honestly like a more, it was a smaller point (laughs) than like, no, it was because, a small
2: point originally, but I mean, I thought it was interesting. Well, yeah,
0: yeah. These statements yeah, yeah, so. that came afterwards. Because, because here's, okay, maybe I can juxtapose. Maybe if I if I talk about the juxtaposition to Green and Cohen, it, it might actually make this point a little bit more clear. So the problem is with Green and Cohen, and this was actually, I'm glad that you mentioned the appendix, Giffen, because they talked about a study that I was aware of, um, or at least I think I'm aware of it, if it's the study I think it is, from Nichols and Nob um that's sean nichols and josh nob yeah there's they had this study where uh again uh, uh, pardon my ignorance if it's the study i think it is there was a study run where they asked people um if an individual was responsible under abstract conditions of just saying like determinism is true right and it said 86 percent of people are inclined to judge in those abstract conditions that a person cannot be morally responsible for their actions in a deterministic universe. But then they ask them again under more concrete affect-inducing conditions where a specific protagonist does something morally wrong. Example, someone stabs his wife and children. Then people are inclined to say that the protagonist can be morally responsible even in a determined universe. Okay, that, uh, that study I think makes total sense because that that's actually where I totally align with McGeer again. In the first one, you're committing the metaphysical corruption fallacy. or meta, uh, the meta, well, It's the fallacy of the metaphysical corruption thesis, right? Where you're saying like, you're priming people by you're just describing determinism, right? And then you're saying, can people be morally responsible? And the impulse there is like, and I'm actually going to talk with um, uh, Eddie Namius is a philosopher at Georgia State about this. Where he thinks that, like the pro- the problem there is that people are assuming there's a, to- a sort of bypassing of agency, right? Where determinism is like you have your little pocket of agency here, and determinism is bypassing that, and that seems like you know people aren't morally responsible, but actually, because we under like we've talked about this before, uh, the general thesis of determinism being true shouldn't have any bearing on that, right? So I think that is like a fallacious um, priming of someone, right? But then. They just talk about a a specific instance. They say, okay, determinism is true. We just know that generally the thesis generally is true, but then this person goes on to stab his wife and children and people say, oh yeah, like he's, he's morally responsible there. Like that, that finding is, I think, uh, is, is parsimonious with both what I'm saying and what McGeer is actually saying. As long as we just change the wording of the metaphysical non commitment thesis or the corruption thesis to de- de- determinism generally versus specific instances. Right?
1: Uh, I, 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 you're saying that we should, and that's to buttress the idea that we provide information to.
0: I, I, yeah, because what you don't want to do is exclude relevant information because so like all i'm saying is i'm just making like a very kind of it's like a grounding point right so let's say we were devising this whole system of restorative justice that hadn't been devised yet right and in our kind of foundation principles was we we sign up for this principle called the metaphysical non-commitment thesis and when we spell that out that says uh one of two things the first is that Generally, the thesis of determinism, it just that's not relevant here. That the determinism is true. I sign in the dotted line for that. If there's a different statement and it says um, both the previous is true, general thesis is true, and also that no deterministic information is relevant to what happens here because it's exchanges of reactive attitudes, I would not agree with that because I think that when you say
2: deterministic information,
0: upbringing you know I mean? like a, the, a brain ca- tumor. yeah things yeah. that
2: could reasonably so i think I, I think i i see it now um with i so mcgeer yes yeah, so that that those pieces of information would not be deterministic in the way that mcgeer is describing determinism right those could be like maybe causal might be a good word but holistically like no, no, causal i like, think
0: it is because i think she, she makes the mistake of saying The first thing, aligning with Strawson, totally reasonable. And I actually agree with that. The the general thesis of determinism is not relevant, but I think that she then conflates that or or no, no, she doesn't conflate it. She says that that's true. Yeah. But then she doesn't say anything that, well, I don't know. Does she say anything that precludes the general instances coming up? I don't, I didn't think that she said that.
1: So you're, you're open to bringing information that could erode the potential reactive attitudes between individuals like the perpetrator and the victim.
0: Yes. If it's relevant,
1: if it's relevant. So I so guess what I'm, you I, don't want to well, do. Hang on. Hang on. Okay. Hang, yeah. hang, hang on. Cause like, I, I, just, I'm not exactly sure what you're going for here. Cause like you brought up like, okay, you said, say there was a tumor in the perpetrator's brain mm-hmm. that what that was not known by the perpetrator, but known by the court. Mm-hmm then the court should provide that information to the victim to allow the victim to kind of incorporate that into their view of the situation.
0: If, if there's good reason to believe that that affected the mental capacities of the person at the time of the crime or now.
1: So if the court had even more capabilities and they were able to scan somebody's brain and could recognize, you know, these 20,000 neurons misfired at this point, which, you know, uh, you know, this person was seemingly rational for 25 years of their life, but mm-hmm. we can recognize at this point these neurons misfired. We're gonna provide you with that information because it is directly relevant to their behavior at that point. You think you think you think the core should provide that if they know that?
0: Not if it is if it is uh, a well-functioning part of the brain, not if it's like a healthy part of the brain. So what I don't want to do I think I think you're you're getting at a concern that is not what I want to sign up for. I don't want the brain or <laughs> I don't want the court. I don't want the brain <laughs> yeah. um, Okay, uh, may, maybe this is something that I wasn't making clear enough and, and you're pointing to it that what I don't want to have happen is for the court to just give a brain scan and say, don't you understand? These neurons fired at this time, causing the person to do that, because obviously we've talked about this, there's going to be because presumably we don't have souls, right? Like everything is going to come down to the brain. So what I don't want to do is have the courts just give information that, like I said, is not is not wrong, uh, uh, is not relevant and sort of a, a malfunction or no simple like, descriptions of what happened at yeah, a fine level. Yeah, like I mean, you know, my wording can be better here, but it's like no obvious, yeah, yeah, it's, it's no clear, difficult. no clear and obvious m- malfunction or disease right. or or something. Yeah, it's
2: like we happen to do a brain scan, and it seems like this is it. Basically, just providing information about how the brain works for the exactly. Person. And, yeah.
0: and, and Eddie Namius like has he he like said somewhere. You know, when normal people because people aren't like thinking about this at the level at which I'm saying it needs to be thought about for these cases. Right. Like when you see these like, you know, the the New York Times has like some when you meditate, it actually changes your brain. And it's like, okay, (laughs) you know, obviously, like the finding would be if it didn't change your brain. Yeah. Right. Like that
1: changes your brain.
0: (laughs) That is where I think Green and Cohen can go wrong. Right. In, and, and that was the first part of the Nichols and Nob study, right, where they just say that determinism is true generally. That's like saying, did you know it was the brain? Well, like, yeah, of course it's the brain. Um, but if uh, but if you, you know, if you, we have information that is like, oh, wow, it was actually we have good reason to believe that it was this brain tumor or this person had schizophrenia or you know, X, whatever it is, this person had like the most fucked, you know, Robert Harris, like the most fucked up childhood you could imagine, right? I'm not even saying that, I, I, I really wouldn't want to say that it's the court's position to say whether that is something that should modify the victim's reactive attitudes in certain ways or not. All I'm saying is like, that is information that I don't think the court should withhold.
1: Yeah, I still don't know about that. I, I, st- I still actually just see your examples there as like higher level manifestations of obvious examples of things that could like, you know, affect someone's example you know, behavior, like, mm-hmm. okay, it, it was the tumor fair enough that, that played a role in this bad behavior. But, you know, what if, you know, like the, the court has in fact determined that, you know, this person like took a few of like these vitamins that were actually laced that morning with some sort of uh you know, additional chemical that contributed to, you know, their behavior that day. It's like, I actually want to know that. Yeah. So the, but the point is that you could, you could parse it so that you could actually figure out all the factors that played a role.
0: No, not necessarily. Oh, okay. I think I understand our disagreement then. I don't think that that's true in the sense that not all information would be valid because it would have to go wrong in some sense, right? So you just said he took pills that were laced or whatever right? What if, you know, this person takes vitamins every morning and they're not laced, right? And let's just grant, we don't have to understand how we know this, but we just know that it actually, like this one neuron fired later on that day. And that was the neuron that made the difference. And we know that that neuron wouldn't have fired if this one vitamin wouldn't have had a half a milligram you know, uh, it was like, you know, there's a, there's a tolerance on like the amount of vitamin C in that. And it was one molecule over or one molecule under, right. That's not relevant because nothing went wrong there or nothing was sort of out of place. Right. So that if the court provided that information, it would to be, it were, it would to be to commit the first fallacy in the Nichols and Nob study, right. Where you prime people with just saying determinism is generally true. Because all that's saying, so if you grant determinism is generally true, logically entailed by that is the statement that, okay, we'll be able to find, or, or no, we won't be able to find, in theory, there's going to be some reason for any behavior, right? I'm, I'm agreeing with you 100%. I, I, I think we're actually agreeing, but talking, well, I think we're largely agreeing that them providing just that determinism is true or a subset of that truth is, you know, that it was this particular amount of vitamin C that it didn't go wrong. It was intolerance or whatever, but we like, that was the the thing that made the difference. That's going to be priming people to redress or um, to, to fall back into uh, the objective stance because of the thesis of determinism generally, which I agree doesn't actually follow.
1: I honestly just don't see the difference, though, between like pointing out like, a, you know, this person had a tumor versus we've isolated these 17 genes. It's what compatibilism
0: away. is. This is like this is this is just what is at the heart of compatibilism. No, because like,
1: you're, you're introducing information here to, in my opinion, that primes someone to view this person objectively. I, 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 I'm saying, no, I'm, no, I'm saying that by introducing this information to, um, I, I I think it erodes the very idea here of the reactive exchange that is,
0: and I'm not sure that it does because I thought that you already agreed. Okay. So you, you wrong Giffen and I later today, right? we have a conversation with you giffen and i are extremely upset with you we, we express extremely strong negative reactive attitudes no, don't
2: speak for me no.
0: and uh the the uh okay so we have that conversation the court finds that you had a brain tumor and in two weeks you're supposed to remove it you are you saying that the court shouldn't provide that information in which case you're excluding and preventing us from having that second conversation with you, right? Like, I think that that... I want to talk to you. Do, do, you, don't you think it's, do you think it's reasonable for me and Giffen to want to talk to you before and after the brain tumor
1: uh, surgery? Before and after the brain tumor surgery? Because um, what if Giffen and I don't... Like, so this is what a if case Giffen where Adam I,
2: knows, like, though, right? For the first n- conversation that he has a brain tumor.
0: No. The court no, knows. The court- Adam doesn't. Uh, we and, don't and we don't because the court hasn't told us because we don't want it to prime us or whatever right but like that that, that means it wasn't related to the
2: actual i think that what i'm having trouble is like well how did the state find this out like how did the courts find this out i'm well, like i'm like I'm,
1: like I'm like less concerned with how the state yeah i don't I don't, I don't think I, that but is. but but like for me it's almost like i don't even like the brain tumor one let, let let's go even Let's go even like more. So you think it's not reasonable for I want to talk I, to you? Okay. Well, hang on. What if, what if like the court determined that I had 17 genes that because of maybe some sort of radiation had like, you know, I, I don't even know, this is pseudoscientific, but like, sure. like degenerated <laughs> such that I wasn't producing a specific protein mm-hmm. that made me, you know, engage in this behavior. Um, Or that maybe, yeah, that maybe engage in this behavior. So would you want to know that? And let's say, you know, through some sort of amazing CRISPR technology, they're able to then like repair Repair. those genes. Yeah. So it's like, would you want to know, um, like before the con, like, I guess for our first conversation that I have like degraded genes, and then for our second conversation, those genes have been repaired. I mean, yes.
0: You- and let me explain. Because in the first, so you even said that it was due to like some weird radiation that happened. It wasn't. So when some, I, I already said when something goes wrong in a way that is not normal, then I think that that, is, that qualifies for it being uh, relevant. Because then I'm not, I'm not like implying a dualism or whatever, but it's like, then your true self or just in Frankfurt's terms, like your second order desire could be different than your first order of desire due to something that was outside your normal range of local control. Right.
1: Mm. So you want to know of all excusing cases. You know Excuse put... cases
0: in 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 the cases where yes, something is abnormally wrong because again you've you've made this case like crystal clear we don't want to prime people by just giving them specific instances of determinism that are totally normal, like everyone is going to have a deterministic story about them, right, but like when we have reason to believe that there was an overwhelming causal detail that creates a really good reason. And and, you know what, this is like, we shouldn't talk about this now because I just will have to think about this. You know, I I wonder also if it would change based on whether the person was different afterwards or not, because that would, you know, that would make it relevant to like, well, was this actually a cause or not or whatever, right? Um, I I guess,
1: I guess like the, like, I, I think I can like get on board more for excusing cases. I can buy into that one. But you need to like clarify exactly what you're saying though because you're bringing up both exempting cases like someone's upbringing and saying okay this person you know you're almost priming someone saying okay this person's not really part of the moral community mm-hmm. and they're and, and and maybe they are maybe they're not but here's maybe a reason why they're not it's mm-hmm. because of their upbringing but then you're also kind of like bringing up cases of excusing cases where it's like okay there was this character continuity, but something if, happened oh, here okay. and you know, I, I guess I I can get more on board with the excusing cases. I can buy into that. Like, yeah, there is a character continuity that was disrupted. And if you're going to judge this person and understand this person, it's important to recognize, okay, whatever their character might be, who they are right now might not be reflected, you know, uh, their, their long character continuity, but with exempting cases I'm really not sure about that. So, I don't know. I I just Yeah.
0: I wonder if it comes down to whether or not we can do something about them. So like we can't change Robert Harris's past, but we can remove Charles Whitman's brain tumor. And then you actually get to know as a like, victim Yeah. Yeah, whether whether he, he had a second order desire, desire to do what he did or not.
1: Yeah, cuz I I don't really disagree with like the the premise that like okay if we can in fact like you know correct your genes you know and because Mm -hmm. of something wrong that had happened sort of recently and there was a character discontinuity there yes you'd want to know you know which version of me you're talking to Mm -hmm. right Mm -hmm. but upbringing i don't know about that one i don't know
0: yeah, I think I'm still on the side of if it's an obviously heinous case like Robert Harris's then that's not information the court should withhold. But I think we should I think we should move on because we've talked about this for a while. I mean that is the, you know, that's the majority of the second part, but I do, I don't know, I do think there's I think there I think that there's more cuz like again, I don't I we do this, I think we do this sometimes a lot. Is I don't want it to sound like I'm actually disagreeing with the entire um, like paper because we talked about a small area of disagreement more. All, all I was saying is that she can kind of she doesn't have to um, I didn't think that I didn't think that McGear had to have as strong a metaphysical non-commitment thesis as she seemed to be putting out while still retaining restorative justice. So I think I think in, in practice really. I think honestly the only difference is that like in my version of restorative justice people have more information more often that's the only difference you know so maybe you know one thing that I was thinking about that was tangentially related to that um but m- maybe it had more to do with where I was coming from than I realized is um you know so uh so McGear um really does a lot of a lot of this paper is contrasting her work with um Green and Cohen's kind of enlightened consequentialist view and then Goodenow's uh, like noble lie retributist, retributivist view. Um, what, did, what did she say? So, so yeah, so she says about Goodenow, she says Goodenow regards it as a useful fiction, uh, the commitment to libertarian free will, playing a, criti- playing a strategic role in regulating human interactions. Like, to be honest, this is where this is, I guess, where like a lot of my grounding came, because I I disagree with because both Green and Cohen and Goodenow think that the folk conception is libertarian free will. And that, you know, then then from there, they do different things with it. Right. You know, Green and Cohen want to disavow it. And Goodenow wants to sort of use it as the noble lie. Right. I, I just thought it was I think it's kind of misguided to think that the reactive attitudes. Yeah. It's like the react, the reactive attitudes clearly don't have anything to do with libertarian free will or not in the sense that they're how we relate to each other. Do you know what I mean? So it's like, um, so, so to call them like a useful fiction is kind of misguided in the sense that like, they're not a fiction, like whether or not libertarian free will is true or not, you know?
1: Yeah because like they make the uh, like the faulty assumption that reactive attitudes are based on the assumption of libertarian free will. Yeah. Which is, which is not true.
0: Or like, well so what I what I'm actually even wondering is I wonder if there's if that is psychologically true but for for folk people but there's no reason to believe that that's like that that's theoretically true or like logically entailed, right? Because yeah, yeah,
1: yeah, yeah. No, I I agree with that.
0: Yeah, because because I actually do think this is an area that I disagreed with McGear and agreed with Green and Cohen and Good now. Is I, I actually do think that the folk intuition or like the, the lay belief is libertarian free will. Like I think people do actually have a sense that you could have done otherwise.
2: Yeah, I, I think I brought this up actually in like one of our previous mini-series, but I yeah, um, just wanted to ask, so I made a note of that, and that's one something I was curious if you guys agree with that aspect or not. Mm. Um, but also um i'm i am curious to see if that you know if that faux conception is true you know, kind of universally for humans or if it's culturally dependent
0: yeah that might also good, have bearing on yeah. like
2: you know if we bring this back to restorative justice it may you know bear on that you know this is yeah um implemented
0: that's a good question actually because i know because i told you guys I, I had read that book by tamler summers about honor uh and, and restorative justice was a chapter in there he is like. He has talked about, actually, um, there are cultures in which you're held responsible, not only they sort of like double down, where <laughs> you can be held responsible for things that not only you couldn't have done otherwise, but you don't even have to do them, like in some <laughs> cultures, you know, so you can be, you can be held responsible for crimes committed by your family, mm, you know. Yeah. Um, and so, you know, you got to think like, if you can hold people you would have to think in those cultures where, if you if it's not seen as wrong to hold someone responsible for something their family does, surely the ability to to do otherwise isn't necessarily relevant.
2: It can't be. Yeah. Yeah. Good, good observation, actually.
0: Yeah. Well, it you know, it, it obviously logically can't be, but people's beliefs yeah. don't always cohere with what's logically entailed. Of course. Yeah. But you would think, I mean, I would have to predict that the ability to to do otherwise wouldn't be a focal point of those cultures for sure. You would have to think. Yeah. 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 yeah like, I, I, that's that concept why, gets
2: introduced into the culture and it's just the societal collapse at that point. Yeah. Everything <laughs> just changes.
0: I wonder, I just thought of this right now. Do you think that it's actually, I wonder if this is inconsistent on McGeer's point to say that. So, so she wrote about that Nichols and Nob study, right? So in, in, when people are told about the, the general thesis of determinism, and then they rescind moral responsibility, that does imply that they're at least implicitly libertarians, right? Because you know, libertarians and, and hard determinists are both incompatibilists in the sense that they think determinism is incompatible with free will and, res- and responsibility, but then they just disagree on whether determinism is true or not. Right. Yeah, I know. So it's like, so, you know, that's why I just don't know if like, I just don't necessarily care a lot about lay people's intuitions here. You know, when you say it's here, like,
2: what exactly do you mean?
0: Well, on the content, on the concept of like what we kind of want to do uh with restorative justice, like, you know, because I
2: think, so yeah, so the that study you're mentioning that was only in the appendix, right? Yes. Uh, which yes. and the appendix was specifically, I mean, I only about the
0: non-commitment it. thesis, yeah.
2: Um. Well, uh, about the non-commitment, it was about the the metaphysical corruption.
0: Oh, I'm sorry. Know. I'm sorry. Yeah. Uh, I mean, non-cor- I, I non-corruption. yep, corruption Yep. Yep. You're okay. Right. I yep. skimmed
2: it because I didn't know if we were, you know, going to have it as required or not. So I may have been mistaken there, but yeah. So it's about the corruption. I I'm curious. So you said that like. Did you say i'm sorry, can you repeat your claim about uh, McGeer uh McGear here um is there, you thought she had a contradiction like there was a contradiction in her thinking yeah because on, like, these two things?
0: Uh, well i don't know i'm just I was just thinking about it for a second so she so McGear acknowledges the first part of the Nichols and nope study is descriptively true right it obviously doesn't logically follow but um that's descriptively so, true, but then she said
2: then she said that she doesn't agree that the folk conception is one of Yeah, that's right. it that does or, seem to you know butt heads.
0: Yeah. Did did she she, she did gets around ex- it in a
2: weird way, I think though. Um because if within the con this is within the context of the metaphysical corruption, so she's basically saying, um like this knowledge suggests that so like the Nichols and nobs study suggests that the medical metaphysical corruption thesis is true, right? Uh, yeah, yeah. So it does bear a role. So I, I think her,
0: like, is psychologically true at least. Yeah,
2: yeah, right. Yeah. Um. So it, that does seem like a contradiction, but I think she gets around it simply by saying, like, well, everyone in the you know the moral community, I'm imagining, you know, doesn't have this, you know, mm-hmm. poisoning the, the knowledge or the, any knowledge of, you know, meditation wearing.
0: Yeah. 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 You know, because like, and, and along with that, I, I think people are um, uh, uh, both, both implicitly libertarian. Cause I think there's this kind of clustering, right? I think people's views kind of cluster around like being libertarians and being dualists. Cause like a lot of people are religious and believe in like a soul. Right. Yeah. And even non-religious people, will be like, you know, like your essence or like your truth, you know, pe- people do kind of
2: spiritualism. Yeah.
0: And then there's also cluster with like this retributivist impulse. Like I-, I was kind of thinking when, when you talk about, because she, she talked about this kind of peripheral benefit was, you know, rehabilitation. Uh, and I think you kind of do, I, I was just in, like thinking about it and you do kind of hear people call rehabilitation soft or like they don't deserve that. Oh, yeah, or... you're not hard
2: on crime. You need to be hard on crime. <laughs> yeah. Super politically relevant.
0: Yeah. It's a, oh, yeah, it's extremely politically relevant. Decades like,
2: and decades and decades fighting crime and losing.
0: You know what? You know what it might come down to? You know what? It, you know what it is? OK, so we've talked about this a little bit, Well, we talked about this in, in the green and Cohen. You, you guys, you guys, you know, you made the connection that that was the paper we were talking about. The green and Cohen 2004 was the paper we talked about previously. So we talked about it in that episode. Actually, it was about the, the um, kind of genealogical debunking arguments or, or um, like a subset of those are evolutionarily debunking arguments, right. Where you, you say, Oh, don't you realize, you know, like a like a fallacious version of this is don't don't you understand you only love your uh, offspring your your children because it's it was evolutionarily adaptive to do so right you know with kin, like kin selection everything <laughs> that should only debunk your view if your view of love can't involve evolutionary history or something right 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 yeah. so that has to do with this where the So the metaphysical corruption thesis is a problem, but it's only a problem because people have the wrong view in the first (laughs) place, I think, right? So when you offer the general thesis of determinism and it undercuts people's willingness to hold responsible uh, via the reactive attitudes, because that's a big asterisk, but via the reactive attitudes, that only works because people were wrong in the first place. Like they have this clustering of like the soul and could have done otherwise and indeterminacy yeah so
2: so it's i think it is like so for mcgear then maybe we would agree with this um you know metaphysical free will has no bearing but people's perception actually does have an enormous bearing
0: yes and it's only because people are kind of dumb like (laughs) in conclusion (laughs) well you know like assuming that we actually like I won't cut that, but, but it's, it's, <laughs> I won't cut it. I'm saying it's dumb to think that people have libertarian like souls, you know, like contra causal. And I should have, you know, like I should have actually a, an agent causal libertarian on because I, I honestly don't understand how that view is even coherent, let alone plausible, right? But yeah. like, but okay, it, it, and then and then even distance, like because obviously a philosopher who ascribes to an agent causal libertarian free will is going to have a way more sophisticated view of that than just the lay person who thinks we're all walking around with like little homunculi that can like <laughs> do otherwise you know of course it's not bad that we talked about what we talked about because it is really kind of the theoretical underpinnings of the of the practice which is good um uh, yeah is there anything else that we didn't touch that was something that you guys wanted to kind of uh hit on before we ended let me peek
2: through real quick Yeah, the, the main comment that I or a question that I had was like the folk conception because I thought mm-hmm. that was going to be a contentious point yeah um, yeah, not necessarily between us but between us and the author because
0: um. because I, I actually think McGeer is dead on about everything actually everything besides those two small points that we just incidentally talked about for the whole like for well, not the whole time but the majority of the time because they're they're interesting to talk about you know yeah but but I'm saying this for myself and for you guys and the listeners. Like, I don't, you know, when we do that, thing, when we do that thing where we talk about one microcosm and then it sounds like I'm against the view, I'm actually not.
2: Yeah. No, I mean, I th- we did just kind of hmm. error. Otherwise, we kind of would have just been... We would have just agreed, discussing, yeah. Discussing, yeah. yeah. Like, basically saying what it was, agreeing yeah. either with, like, the point or, you know, with the yeah. Yeah. coherence of the point.
0: You know, one last thing that I thought was interesting is that... to i actually think green and cohen this is interesting i wonder what green and cohen think about this response to them because if they're being good consequentialists they should actually be in favor of this view you know because like as soon as you grant as soon as you grant her like perfect point that the re the reactive attitudes following strawson is how we relate to each other um like, I actually thought this was one of her best points that she didn't talk about a lot. You know, she, she said that, you know, um, talking about Green and Cohen's view, you know, we might be able to kind of exist in that purely consequentialist state for some time, But then she asks, but at what psychic cost to individuals in the society? I thought that that was actually one of her best points that could have been developed a little bit more because like as soon as you grant that the reactive attitudes are how we relate to each other and that that's a consequentialist good, you know, people relating to each other in more productive ways, then right. if you're Green and Cohen on like a purely consequentialist basis, you could get this view off the ground, you know?
2: Hmm. Maybe. They might they might debate the um, productivity of you know.
0: Well, but remember, she even drops that citation about how this reduces recidivism rates. It increases victim and offender satisfaction in the prof- in the in the. Uh, um, oh,
2: um, well, like the current implementation of
0: of the restorative, uh, restorative justice. justice. Yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah.
2: No, if we're talking about just that, that then yeah, they have they would have to grapple with that consequentialism unless yeah. they're evil consequentialists and their values are <laughs> skewed.
1: Evil consequentialists. <laughs> yeah.
2: like, I I value highly that we get you know poor consequences. <laughs> yeah. You know, but no, they would they actually definitely need to square that. Um, yeah. I thought you were talking about like you know her framework of correct reactivity specifically, but no, it, they they must they must address yeah, like, um, the restorative justice approach.
0: Yeah, Adam, you seem dissatisfied. Is there anything that we that you want to talk about still that we haven't?
1: Um. Oh. No, I just, I, I guess I'm, I don't know. I, I'm happy with where the conversation went, but I guess I'm a little, I feel like this paper was, let me think about this. It addressed like theoretical aspects to moral responsibility, but I thought there were also practical aspects of how this could be implemented that I thought the conversation we had, it's not that it wasn't good, but I didn't, I didn't, I didn't think it was like necessarily fair with regard to just the practical implementation yeah. of restorative yeah. justice. Like, I think, cause like, I guess I was just um, it just things like, you know, identifying a brain tumor that, you know, someone wouldn't know, but then, you know, you're gonna have one conversation with this person, but with the brain tumor in, then you take it out, and you have another conversation with the person. Like, I don't know. It just a lot of this seemed like it seemed like we had moved away from like the theme mm. of
0: the practical with, sides. Yeah,
1: yeah, yeah and, well, and I guess I, I I don't know. The reality know. is, if we're gonna be reading
2: like political philosophy we're probably going to be, you know, getting more of that. We would probably have to find something in political science that touched on, you know, um, restorative justice broadly if we want to address some of those, you know, practical claims. You know what I mean? Like, and I I I think think Adam was,
0: I I think Adam was, well, correct me if I'm wrong, but I I think there were even things just like internal to this paper that I agree. I wish we would have had a little bit more time to talk about. Um, Like... Like there, there's, there are questions of like, you know, what, what I started talking about. I mean, it's kind of interesting to think about what you do when someone doesn't seem to exist in the, in the same moral community. Right. Like bracket all of those, the, the concerns we talked about previously, like, I wonder what do you do with them at that yeah, point? Those like, are, are like they...
2: implied questions in the reading, not explicitly. Yeah. Right? yeah, yeah. No, there, there's, there's actually a lot of those. Um, yeah. Cause I, you know, it, it'll really depend, you know, it's interesting to ask even like what would green and cohen you know suggest as consequences when yeah. they're not in the same community some dark <laughs> some dark thought but no, yeah it, it, yeah it's, it's actually important too because i had a couple like thoughts that would you know be beyond you know if it would be a reaction to like some implications in this paper. yeah not, nothing explicit but about yeah. like the implementation of distributive justice um and like you know examples of it that might butt against our notion that it would be consequentially good
0: things yeah. like that. All right. Well, Adam, I know you got to go. Maybe, we, maybe we should do like a little. Maybe we should do like a tiny little addendum or something to this sure. at, at some it. point later. If you, if you guys want yeah. to or not, because I, I do. I agree. I think there were actually more questions um, than we got to. But instead
2: of an addendum, maybe just a follow up, like paper. I mean, like a full.
0: Yeah, I'd have to find. Um, I have to find something. I just don't know the state of like this literature specifically. You know. Um,
2: what was this paper? What year?
0: 2012.
2: Okay, so there's enough space for a little bit of... Yeah,
0: I'd have to look finds. at like who has cited it and such. Yeah, we don't have that. to do it as an
2: immediate follow-up like we did mm-hmm. this one for the yeah. no
0: Yeah, okay. Alright, anyway. well, I, I I like the episode still. Um, we'll see what happens with the follow-up, but uh, I hope everyone listening enjoyed it and uh, and tune in next time. Well, I hope you enjoyed that episode of Plato's Cave. Um, I always enjoy discussing topics with uh, with these two guys. So if you want to um, support the show in any way, you can do so simply by sharing it. Uh, I'm hoping to get this show out to more people. Uh, and so if you want to share it on Twitter or social media, that would really help me. Uh, you can also rate it on Apple Podcasts. Uh, Like this video if you're watching on YouTube, or subscribe uh, via Apple Podcasts or an RSS feed. Uh, You can also discuss it on your own show and link back uh, to my website. Or you can connect me uh, with recommended guests or topics to cover. Uh, You can get in contact with me at Plato's Cave Podcast at gmail.com. Follow me on Twitter at Jordan underscore C underscore Myers. And I now have a website for my philosophy endeavors at jordanmyers.org. If you want to know a little bit more about me and my fellow co hosts, um, as I said in the introduction, I'm a master's student in philosophy at the University of Houston. I did my undergrad at the University of Pittsburgh, where I studied mechanical engineering and philosophy. And now that I'm back at school, I'm hoping to more closely study uh, moral responsibility, free will, ethics, epistemology, and moral psychology. Those are topics that I was uh, introduced to and got really interested in in my undergrad work. So uh, Adam and Giffen accompanied me on this show. And Adam is uh, one of my oldest friends. We actually met in kindergarten, Um, and we've been interested in philosophical topics for as long as we can remember, and in a lot of ways, it's been the basis of our friendship. Uh, Adam studied chemistry and biology at Cornell, and he is currently working at a law firm, Um, and he's especially interested in moral responsibility as well, but also law, religion, and free will. Uh, Giffen is also one of my oldest friends, and Uh, We've been friends since elementary school as well. Um, Giffen studied biology and economics at RPI, and now he works in human health research. Uh, He believes that there's very interesting overlap between both of his fields of study and philosophy, and he's particularly interested in exploring political philosophy. So this series was right up his alley. Um, And with, uh, with all of that information... Again, I hope that you enjoyed uh, this episode and I hope that you get in contact with me or or follow my work in any way that you uh, deem reasonable to do. So with that, thank you for listening.